are listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number eight. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. I really, really appreciate everybody tuning in and supporting this new experiment of mine. Today's topic is all about the myths of working in international education. But before we get into that, I want to share a few things with you, some of them slightly ridiculous. But the first is that the past couple of weeks have been a perfect storm of technical difficulties for me. Um, After I published the last episode, and I was so excited to sort of get this one recorded and launch it for the next week, my computer decided, no, it's summertime. We're not working. Um, this is not happening. And so it kept crashing anytime I'd even open a browser. And so I couldn't even like Google my own problem, which I that really bothers me. I will Google anything. So uh, I had no choice but to take it to my IT department, which is aka the Apple store. And they've had it captive for the past a couple weeks almost. Um, so last, no podcast episodes or really productivity has just kind of slowed down, but it's back and we're rocking and rolling now. So the other big announcement I have is is much more important is uh, I'm really excited to announce that next week, my friends and alumni programming gurus, Angela Manginelli and Chelsea Kindred, they're going to be teaching an online workshop all about effectively engaging program alumni. So thinking about with so many students returning to campus this fall, you'll definitely want to tune in to see how you can start implementing small and large strategies to really help the students sort of process their experience and maybe even help you with your own recruiting activities. So here's how it how it works with these workshops. If you attend live, live session, it'll be available for purchase, the recording, on InsideStudyAbroad.com. So if you attend live, come and join us Wednesday, next Wednesday, August 24th, at 1 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. And you can learn more about the workshop and what we're going to be talking about and learn more about Angela and Chelsea by coming to InsideStudyAbroad.com slash alumni. Again, that's Wednesday, August 24th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. It's completely free. And I hope to see you guys there. All right, let's get into today's topic, the myths of working in international education. This was a topic that I wanted to dive into mostly because working with the Global Pro Institute and all of their participants and even just people who have contacted me and emailed me and wanted to pick my brain or buy me coffee, informational interviews through that process, I have discovered that a lot of people, I think, don't really understand what it means to work in international education. And I think it's just because they're super excited. They're coming home from their own experiences or had their own experience at some point in their life. And and they just realized that was a time when they felt really motivated and excited. And it's just a time in their lives where they were probably really happy. And that whole explore 
exploratory process of a study abroad program or an internship abroad program just really had a, a good, Im- a meaningful impact on them. And so therefore, they see this as an opportunity to continue, you know, what they experienced abroad. And I think that's wonderful. I think if your experience like mine was, you know, that's definitely how I got into the field for sure. It was sort of like, well, I studied abroad three times. Clearly, this is something I'm passionate about. Why don't I just work in the field? And like many people today, I also really had no idea what I was getting myself into. I just thought, oh, I studied abroad. I can work and study abroad. And therefore, you know, I have all the skills, all the experience necessary to be a successful professional. And I learned very quickly that I was very, very wrong about that. One of the things I am very passionate about is making sure people understand what they're getting themselves into, uh, especially because with our field, with master's degrees almost becoming a prerequisite for even entry-level jobs, in some cases, not all, I think, you know, it's it's really hard to ask someone to go into a field and also pay for a master's degree to go into a field in which they really don't have a true understanding of what the work is and if they'd be any good at it, if they'd like it. And I just think we need to be better about giving people these opportunities, whether they be, you know, practical professional internships, practicums, things like that, to give people a little foot in the door, a little a little dose, a little a little appetizer, if you will, of what it really means to work in international education. With this podcast and when talking about the myths of working in international education, hopefully it'll start giving people an idea of what what the work really looks like and and how their expectations might not be aligned with the reality on the ground. So here we go. Myth number one, it will be as exciting as your own study abroad experience or your internship abroad experience or your volunteer abroad experience that working in the field is just like participating in these programs. And unfortunately, that's just very unrealistic. <laughs> Participating in a program abroad is very different than administering that same type of program. If you thought that the paperwork was out of control when you applied for your program abroad, or you tried to transfer your credits, or you tried to get financial aid, or you had to fill out medical forms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then multiply that times a billion as when you work in this field. That's that's the type of stuff that you're you're going to be focused on, making sure that students have all their ducks in a row, so to speak, and that they they've gotten all that paperwork filled out for the you know for the the university abroad, for your office, for the provider they might be going through, for the consulate that they might have to get a visa from. You know, all of these things. As an administrator, you're likely going to be focused on making sure all of those things are lining up, and you're going to do that times you know however many students you work with in a year. So it could be thousands of students, uh, depending on the size of the organization or campus that you work on. If you thought, oh, the paperwork side of going abroad was your least favorite part, then keep in mind that that's going to be a big part of what you do, especially at the entry level. As a professional, you'll do all the paperwork on a university campus, like I mentioned, the affiliate agreements, you know, beyond just helping the students, you're going to be, you know, applying for course approvals through the through the provost office. You'll be working on affiliation agreements. You'll be making memorandums of understanding, MOAs, and other types of contracts. You'll be doing possibly currency forecasting. You'll do expense reports for yourself, maybe your office and and budgets later on in your career. You're going to be compiling semester and annual reports, you know, 
on your area of responsibility in in that organization. And I could probably do a whole other podcast on on all of that stuff. As a professional, we facilitate the learning part of the experience, not necessarily the fun part. You know, a lot of times when I talk to people, they're really excited about helping students travel and really getting the most out of their experience. And I, I think that's great. But I think oftentimes when I push a little further and I dig deeper what getting more, quote, getting more means is that they want to, you know, let them know how they can save money on their weekend travel. They want to help them understand the cool places to go and different types of things they can do in maybe the cities and countries that they're studying in. And that's not a bad thing, but you have to understand that sometimes you're going to have to work on things in international education that focus more on the learning and it may you know on the surface just not seem as fun to you you won't be helping students figure out which countries to visit while they're abroad or you know helping them figure out the best bar crawl or scoping out the local beaches you'll be figuring out cool speaker series to help maybe implement on site or during a program, identifying intercambio programs where they can do language learning, designing educational excursions, academic interventions, all of these things that are critical to creating a meaningful international experience for our students. Sometimes the students and maybe you might just think, oh, that's that's not the fun part that I was hoping to to really get to engage with. And so keeping in mind that you when you go from participant to professional, you really have to level up your understanding of what these programs can look like and, and the value that they can bring for students, because because oftentimes students. They're, they're still at a lower developmental stage intellectually, psychosocially, and they just may not get yet, you know, the learning that is available to them, both personally, professionally, academically f- during these programs. And so it's up to us as professionals to help guide them and walk them through this process. And of course, I want students to have fun. I'm one of those people that I don't think academics and fun are mutually dis- uh, exclusive. I think that they can both marry nicely together. I absolutely think we should help be helping students have fun on these experience, but not sacrifice their learning just to have fun. There's my, the first myth is that your working in study abroad is as exciting and fun um, as your actual study abroad experience. The second myth revolves around this idea that when you go and work in international education, you'll be traveling the world and going to all the big conferences, right? You just get the, your first job in the field and poof, you'll be gallivanting around the globe and be presenting at all the big conferences and just poof, it all just kind of appears for you. The thing is, I will have to say, you, in our field, you actually might travel more than you know some of your friends who might be working in um, PR or accounting or nursing possibly, right? So it, it does lend itself to a little bit more travel, but I think it's not as much as a lot of people think that they will be able to travel because abroad is in sort of the title or international is sort of in in the, the name of the field. I would wager that most entry-level positions may go on a site visit once in their first two years. I, I talk to a lot of people who are shocked by that. They just think, oh, I would surely be going on a couple international trips my first year in business, so to speak. And and I say, honestly, probably not. It really depends on the type of office you're working in on a university campus or the type of organization that you're opting into or the type of role you take on. Most offices are on a conference rotation, meaning that they take turns attending the big conferences every year. And while you might want to spend your professional development funds on the NAFSA National Conference each year, your position might be better 
better suited to attending smaller niche events instead. And you might have to go to a marketing conference or a diversity conference or health and safety event of some kind. And a lot of times some people are like, oh, that's that's not as sexy. <laughs> that, that's not as fun as like getting to go to the big event every year. But that's just the reality. And you sort of have to go where you're needed, not just, you know, where you want to go. Of course, as you grow in your career, you'll you'll likely travel more and attend more conferences. That's that's just the nature of you, you know, gaining more experience and 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 increasing your responsibilities in in the field. When I was at GoBrad, I had to constantly remind my team because they were mostly just new, fresh out of college or a year out of college, and they were all of a sudden getting to go to all these big events and going to all these conferences. And I just had to, I had to tell them, I was like, you, this is an anomaly. Like you are in a marketing role. So that necess- that sort of lends itself to be needing to go to these events. But, and, but we're just a, a different type of organization that you get to do that so early in your career uh, and get to go to all of them and sort of have this big entourage show up at these events. So kind of the old lady sort of like back in my day when I first started in my career, you know, I wasn't going to every single conference. And so you just have to realize that like you might see people doing this and it might be their reality, but it's also based on the type of organization that they're at and the type of role that they're in. It's rare that emerging professionals would get to go to the main conferences every year, plus the regional NAFs events, plus international trips. And so just keep that in mind as well. You might see examples of this. Those are the anomalies. They're not the rule. The amount of travel that you do and the type of travel that you do will largely depend on the type of organization that you're at and the type of role that you have. If you're in more of a quote, marketing or recruitment focused position like university relations or outreach, you will tend to travel domestically and to conferences a lot more because your role is to establish relationships with universities or or other organizations. And and that that's your main job. And so it makes total sense that you would go to some those events and, and travel domestically to, to work with universities. But people who are focused on more of an advising and program development and implementation type of role you'll likely do more site visits, right? Um, Going abroad to the locations where you actually deliver the programs. You'll do program reviews on the ground. You might be helping more with program delivery during the the big intake orientation periods. You might be just working with on-site staff to make sure that the program design is really working for you in, in terms of the evaluation students have submitted about their experience. And so because you're focused on the program experience, the program delivery and and what that experience would look like as an you know in helping students as either an advisor or program manager you'll likely do more site visits but may not get to go as to many domestic conferences you won't be you know uh, be a road warrior so to speak in a new state every every week during the fall or spring and so you just have to keep in mind that the nature of your role will really uh, impact the type of experience um, travel experience that you'll have here's the deal I have talked to hundreds of people wanting to work in international education. And one of the main things that I'm told often is that they have a passion for international education and they love to travel. And the thing is, is that that's great. I also have a passion for international education and I also love to travel, but I also understand that there's there's got to be more to it than just those two things. And if your main goal to for working in IE is because you want to travel all the time and 
all over the world, not just, um, you know, domestically as a road warrior, then I highly recommend you look at a career in international admissions. Those, those guys over there, they are jet setting all over the world, all the time, new countries, and having a really great experience working with students on the ground, talking about their institutions. And so I really feel like sometimes in our field, just because we had one type of experience, we think that's the area of the field we need to work in. If we studied abroad, we need to work and study abroad. If we did an internship abroad, that's where we need to be. But oftentimes, your personal goals and honestly, your skills and experience might lend themselves to another area of the field. And that's something I talk a lot about uh, in the Global Pro Institute. My GPI alumni will know this. Just because you did one thing doesn't mean that you're best suited for that thing. And so think about the different areas of the field, start exploring different sections or knowledge communities, if you will, and and what those role what those those positions actually do on a daily basis and what what their travel schedule actually looks like because you might discover that oh wow I always thought I wanted to be a study abroad advisor but it turns out I really want to be an international admissions uh, officer so just think about those different options that are available to you so the third myth is related more to education this is the one that oh gosh I could I could go on and on about this one, you guys, but the myth is you must have a master's degree to get a job in our field, or the flip side of that is having a master's degree means you can get any job in our field. And unfortunately, I think both of those things are myths. Um, this is the one's going to be pretty controversial, both for aspiring professionals who are, you know, pounding the pavement right now and maybe hearing no quite a bit, and maybe current professionals who think, yes, absolutely, you need to have a master's degree to to work in this field. But here's here's my point of view on this: master's degree, it's become a filtering mechanism in the hiring process for a lot of universities specifically, but also some private organizations. And since the field is so incredibly competitive, especially in the study abroad side, um, HR departments and hiring managers have to do something to narrow down the results, right? So if they're getting 100, 200 applications for one entry-level position, they don't have time to, to give a quality, conscious review of every single application. They've got to filter it out some way. And the master's degree has become that filter. However, I think the master's degree is only vital if you're simply using the traditional channels to get a job, right? So this means you see a job posting, you apply for the job via email or HR, you wait, crossing your fingers, hoping that you get noticed, right? And that's the way most people go about their job search. Unfortunately, that's not enough, especially in our field, because it's so competitive. You can't just send out hundreds of applications and hope that that's just going to work. Uh, what most people don't realize is that in our field, there's an underground market of professional opportunities that rarely involve a traditional job application. Here are some examples. So the first one I would talk about is someone I hired. I'm not going to use her name because I didn't ask her if it would be okay. So I hired someone at Go Abroad. I met her through Twitter and I just saw how engaged she was there, how she was just had a great personality. Uh, the way she, it was really genuine. Um, I just and I saw also that she had this passion and interest 
for international education and the types of things that she was posting. Um, she engaged with me and connected with me, not in a pushy way, like, hey, Brooke, give me a job. Uh, but she definitely stood out to me. And, you know, it wasn't until months later that I was in a position, I was sitting down with Troy, who's the founder of Go Abroad, and I was saying, hey, I want to hire this person, this a, t- a type of person to fill X type of role. And I'd sort of outlined what we needed. And he is like, okay, great. And I was like, I kind of already have somebody in mind. And I'd love to sort of tease it out to her and see if, if something she'd be interested in. And so I reached out to her, told her about the experience and what it would be, coached her a little um, before she met Troy. Uh, and, and in the end, I, I hired her. I never posted a job, you know, on Sakusal or any other place saying, hey, we're hiring X position. I just knew what I needed and I saw someone who demonstrated exactly what we were looking for and some of that is luck absolutely but some of it you have to understand too if you're an organization like I was at go abroad where I could just move really fast and I didn't have to go through HR approval and you know all these things that we could just hire when we needed to and we wanted to I was ready to move and and she was she was ready to sort of stand up and say I'm in let's do this and so that's just one example another example all my a lot of my examples are all from go abroad only because I I worked there for so long and had this big team one of the other uh examples is also from go abroad another woman who still works there actually but she she sort of got her role at go abroad because she was willing to take a really low paid kind of intern grunt work experience for another organization and she was working with them doing amazing work just really knocking their socks off and what I and I call being a dream come true she was just that for that organization and when it came time and I was ready to hire this other type of role and I, I knew exactly what we needed I knew the personality type and and the sort of the responsibilities of that role I asked around I asked people like do you know anybody that could fit this role because I'd rather hire someone that peer my peers people I know like and trust also have a high regard for they also know like and trust these these other people and so I got a few names and I started you know bouncing them around and I interviewed this one woman at this organization who was just knocking it out of the park and she ended up you know I offered her the interviewed her offered her the role and she's been at go abroad ever since and so these are people who have just done their best to network, show their value, and demonstrate that they have something to offer. And, and they position themselves in, in really great way, both in their branding, physically, you know, branding in terms of like, oh, you know, had a really cool looking Twitter account, but also branding in terms of branded as a hard worker, branded as somebody who can just be handed a project and make things happen, uh, branded as someone who was innovative and had the type of personality that could be successful in that role. So it's not just about like branding, like colors and and fonts and things like that. Branding is also about how people talk about you when you're not in the room, and and that's exactly what they demonstrated. The reason I mention these two people is because they didn't they don't have master's degrees. I don't I believe neither of them still have a master's degree. Doesn't mean they won't get it in the future or need it in the future, but they just they they used other means to break their way into the field, and and it's really important for people to understand that there there are other avenues other than I gotta go get a master's degree. The other example I'll give is my good friend Samantha LaCroix but she was a colleague of mine at uh, USA which is an academic internship organization 
Houston. And we started about a month apart. And she had all this great experience. She'd worked for CIEE and all this stuff. And I was sort of coming out of uh, uh, my master's and a year in China, sort of fresh faced. Had this my kind of first big kid job. And but she had been a big kid forever <laughs> in terms of uh, had been working in the field. And so I had a master's degree. She didn't. But we both brought amazing set of skills and and knowledge to the to our roles. She was able to demonstrate incredible value from both her educational background in business but and marketing, but also her her experience working at a large, well-oiled machine that is CIEE and understanding the transitional issues of, of working with students who are going abroad. And, you know, and she was able to demonstrate that value. She rose to the ranks. She, I left and went off on my crazy, crazy adventures and career. But she has stayed at USA and, and rose through the ranks and is now the director of university relations. She's currently working on her master's degree. But what I will tell you is that um, she didn't need a master's degree in order to get promotions or even get the job. She was able to demonstrate that through um, her past experience, through her knowledge and skills, probably her network as well, and and was really able to sh- shine in, in a very crowded applicant pool. And so what I will tell you, and I, you guys, I have so many examples of people who haven't had master's degrees um, and had very successful careers. Um, I know people who are VPs of companies who don't have master's degrees. I know people who are directors of offices that don't have master's degrees. And so I think it's really important for us to sort of debunk this myth that you have to get a master's degree in order to get a job. You might have to get more creative. And that's what I teach in the Global Pro Institute for sure. But um, it's not the end all be all. And I think it's really important for you to understand what it's really like to work in this field before you go pursue a master's degree that might cost you 30, 40, 50 grand, right? So really keep that in mind that getting a master's degree it, it just, in some cases, kind of just ticks a box. And it's really important for you to make sure that that's not a really expensive box to then discover that international ed may not be for you. The flip side to this is that if you have a master's degree, that you are shoe in, that like you'll automatically sort of get an interview for any job you apply for. And unfortunately, that's also not true. I have had plenty of people come to me and just sort of say, hey, you know, they give me their basically life story and their resume. And they say, you know, I have a master's degree, but I can't get any callbacks. And the thing is, is that the things I described that the people were doing um, to get jobs without a master's degree, that's the same stuff that you need to be doing even if you have one because because even if they weed down the applicant pool based on do you have a master's degree or not that's still a becoming a larger and larger pool. So you still have to do more to stand out. And so I think it's really important for you to understand that just because you went and spent that money and you ticked that box doesn't necessarily mean that you will be, you know, a top candidate for any position that you apply for. I would say probably 50%, maybe 40, 50% of the people who have gone through GPI, and that's nearly 100 participants at this point, they have master's degrees. Some even have PhDs, right? So it's not necessarily just about ticking the box. Those are my three main myths about working in international education. Myth number one, it will be as exciting as your study abroad experience. Myth number two, you'll be traveling the world and going to all the conferences. Myth number three, you will you must have a master's degree to get a job. Or on the flip side, having a master's degree means you can get any job. So hopefully this 
shed a little light on the realities of working in international education and um, really sparked maybe some ideas of your own about how you can start standing out in some meaningful ways to land your first job or your next job in the field. And I would love to hear some feedback from people. Come on over to InsightStudyAbroad.com. Leave a comment on this post. Let, let me know what you think. If you agree, disagree with any of these myths, if you would add some to this list. I would just love to hear some feedback because there's so much nuance and um, layers to this conversation that I would really love to get more people involved. So thank you guys so much for listening as always. I also wanted to let you guys know I have created a new community for international education professionals. It's called the International Education Collective and it's a private Facebook group. It's basically a, another space where we can sort of connect, get to know one of each other and really learn you know, more about how we can collaborate. We can have open conversations. You can share articles and People can give their commentary on 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 and their thoughts on these different ideas and issues. If you're looking for advice about different programs, if you're trying to launch, um, or you're you know you need to you want to do a proposal for an upcoming conference, and you're looking for co-presenters on a topic, this would be a great place uh, to do that. I want it to be as non-promotional as possible, but I also understand like people want to share what they've been working on, but I don't want it to become sort of just like hey our deadline's coming <laughs> for, a, you know, an application deadline. I, I, I kind of want to avoid some of that. We, we get plenty of that kind of stuff on Sakusol. But if you have other sort of questions, if you need resources, you need, you know, ask people, hey, I'm launching something in my office. I would love to see what other offices have put together. Uh, this would be a great place to do that and connect and actually put some faces to names. I know Sakusol has become kind of a standard bearer in our, our field, but it's also just a little old school. And, um, and Facebook, frankly, is honestly, a little old school if I was being really fancy we'd have like a slack community but I think that's a little too far-fetched for our field at this point so come on over to Facebook it's facebook.com slash groups slash I-N-T-L-E-D collective I'll put a link in the show notes so you don't have to worry about remembering that link so just click on that you can also go to inside study abroad um, and at the top it'll say join the collective and you can click that link to join as well Also, next week, don't forget to register for our free online workshop all about alumni programming, reentry programming. Angela Manginelli and Chelsea Kindred are going to be here working their alumni magic on you guys and walking you through how to develop these programs on your own campus or in your own organization. So definitely tune in for that. The links and all the details will be in the show notes. So head on over to InsideStudyAbroad.com. All right, you guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much as always for listening. Until next time, I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week and I will see you on the inside. Bye for now. Thank you.